Good afternoon, my renegades. Welcome back to Rogue Radio. My name is Sarah Jane, and I know it has been a long time. Yes, Christmas happened. Um, the New Year's happened. A lot of other things happened. And now, this Friday, my birthday is coming up. And I, yeah, I'll be 33, so pray for me. <laughs> It is always kind of, uh, I wouldn't say difficult, but it's very busy towards the end of December, towards the beginning of January for me, just because there's New Year's, Christmas, Christmas Eve, seeing all the family um, those days, and then boom, it's my birthday. I'm like, huh, can I just go to bed for my birthday? I'm kidding now, but um, um, thank you guys for being patient with me throughout this time. You know, I haven't posted in I don't know how long, but today is Persecution Press, so we'll get into that in a minute. But if you guys have any, any comments, questions, or concerns, links will be down in the description below on how to reach me. So thank you very much. We haven't done a persecution press in a very long time, so this is going to be interesting. So as you guys know, I get Voice of the Martyrs in the um, mail. It's a magazine. It's a free magazine if you go to vom.com and sign up for the free subscription to know what your brothers and sisters are up to in foreign countries. There you go. Um, I love reading them just because it kind of strengthens my faith, and you know what? I hope it strengthens yours. So let's just get into it. The first one is salvation for you and your household. Jamila has lived in an abusive marriage for more than three decades. Raised as a Muslim, she was forced by her father into an arranged marriage with a harsh Muslim man. I got married not because he was good or nice, she said, but because I had to. Uh, from day one, Jamila's husband viewed her more as a possession than a person, and before long, uh, he had to physically attack her, or he began to physically attack her. Amid the uh, continual beatings and threats, Jamila's heart ached for goodness and truth. She had wrestled with questions about Islam for years, and when a Christian TV broadcast pointed her to the truth of Christ, Jamila found the answers uh, she had been seeking. The faith in God that brought her peace, however, seemed only to intensify the violence in her home. Um, though Jamila uh, is a citizen of the Middle Eastern country, of a Middle Eastern country, she was born um, in a Western nation where her Muslim father was posted as a representative of his Arab government. Okay, so what they're doing is this is an active situation so therefore there is a reason why they're not specifically talking about the exact country that she's in um the the reason why is because she she's probably still in danger so that is why they're not actually talking about like her um exact location 
because most of the time when it comes to someone who is being persecuted and is still in the process of being or getting free um, they want to make sure that there's no like problems more problems that come towards them so Jamila might still be in this active marriage so in order for her to stay safe they have to make sure that they say vaguely where she's at so therefore like she doesn't get stoned or hurt or anything like that because um, right now in the Middle East there's a lot of things going on um, towards women that, that shouldn't be happening but um, that's the main reason why they decided not to tell anybody their main country that they live in um, because there are people out there that actually confiscate Bibles and confiscate magazines like this in different countries because it's not just in America that we're given this magazine. Um, it is everywhere. You, you can get this anywhere. Um, and some radical Muslims, um, sometimes radical Hindus, wherever you're at, sorry, wherever you're at, there's always going to be a bad person that gets a hold of something like this and they might go in and attack that person. So this is the Voice of the Martyr's way of just kind of making sure that she's safe and also that her story is being told. After her mother died when Jamila was only five years old, her father sent her to a Catholic boarding school. Really? I thought they were- I thought he was Muslim. That's interesting. Okay. There, she was taught by nuns and required to attend chapel services that honored Jesus Christ, and the seeds of those early lessons took root in her heart. Jesus Christ was real, and he loved her. So I- I'm kind of- I'm- I'm learning this story just like you guys are. It- I'm kind of confused. But when Jamila turned 18, her father sent her back to the Middle East. Um, having lived in a Western nation all her life, she felt as if she had been dropped in a foreign country. She's been westernized. That's probably what they thought, what they believed. But, um... She moved from one relative's home to another, barely understanding the language and not at all the culture of her surroundings. Uh, first, Jamila was sent to an Arabic school to improve her language skills and gain the ability to read the Quran when she was sent to Saudi Arabia um, for Islamic religious training. I had so many questions about Islam, she said. Um, it is very clear that the Quran hate Christians, hate Jewish people. Um, I asked directly why uh, that is written in the Quran. Why do you hate people? They ignored my questions. They didn't give me a real answer. Around the time, around that time, Jamila's father pushed her into marriage with a Muslim man. Um, as she continued her um, Islamic training, Jamila heard an uh, imam, imam, heard an imam criticize Jesus Christ, saying things, hang on, 
that didn't agree with what she had learned in Catholic boarding school. Why are these people saying such bad things about Jesus, she wondered. She had been taught about Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is loving, kind, and good. She had learned that she was cru- that he was crucified, died, and resurrected after three days, while Muslims deny that he even went to the cross. Um, then seven years ago, during the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, Jamila, um, began to find answers to her many questions. While studying in Saudi Arabia, Jam- Jamila um, had a dream in which she saw a light so bright that she couldn't open her eyes to see the source. When she returned home, uh, she turned on the TV and began to search through satellite TV channels. As she came across Christian channels, her first impulse, trying to be a good Muslim, was to push past them, but she was, but she felt as if something or someone was holding her hand, preventing her from pushing the button to move past the channel. She watched with interest as an evangelist challenged Islamic teachings and gave a clear uh, presentation of the gospel. Jamila had so many questions about Islam. Uh, was and was surprised to see someone openly asking similar questions on TV and providing answers. Wanting to find the answer to her own, Jamila began to compare the evangelist teachings with those with the Quran and other books and um, on the yeah, on the internet. Okay. In the end, she did not find the answers to Islam. Okay, did, wait, what? All that? Okay. It's okay. I'm, I'm still reading. Determined to learn more about the Bible and recalling the nuns uh, and her childhood lessons, she headed for the local Catholic church. But when she got there, she was turned away by church leaders who feared that inviting a Muslim woman into, her, into their midst would uh, cause problems. Then a friend helped Jamila connect with a pastor of an ev- evangelical church. Um... The pastor, okay, <laughs> that threw me off. Uh, she gave her Bible to Jamila and made the costly decision to read about Jesus Christ for herself. Jamila's husband had been abusive since the first days of her marriage, but uh, he began to treat her even more harshly after he learned that she was pursuing the truth of Jesus Christ. He provided food for their children. Uh, but at times would not let her eat. When she was sick, he prevented her from getting treatment, and the beatings continued, but Jamila felt that she had a defender in Jesus Christ. I went through the darkness of Islam between a husband and a wife, how the husband sees his wife as a slave. My husband uh, beat me for very small things, any kind of thing. He would make a big issue and beat me. Uh, My husband uh, and relatives threatened to kill me. I told them, I don't care. Do what you like, and uh, I take Jesus as my savior, and he will protect me. Since then, Jamila's grown children have stepped in and has seen God protect her. Uh, The Lord never left me. He was always me. I faced some challenges, but the Lord reminded me how he was 
or he has been with me. When asked why she stays in an abusive marriage, Jamila said, I want to take care of my kids. She is determined that her teenage daughters will not be forced into the abusive Muslim marriage that she was in. Um, for encouragement and hope, Jamila looks to Paul and Silas's promise to the Philippian jailer in Acts 16.31, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and you and your household. She is trusting in Christ for the salvation of her children and husband. I believe in this verse, she said. The Lord stands up with me and I have seen his hand in all of my life. After Islamists kidnapped and murdered six Christians in Burkina Faso, family members and friends were encouraged through fellowship with global with the global body of Christ. The day Miriam's husband, Emmanuel, was killed uh, will be seared into her memory forever. Emmanuel lived and served as a church elder in the village of Seba, Burkina Faso. Uh, for years, he had actively proclaimed the gospel in the region surrounding his village and along the country's borders with Niger and Mali. Islamic militants from uh, the self-proclaimed Islamic State ISIS and Al-Qaeda regularly launch attacks from those two nations in West Africa's Sahara Desert. Um, the Christians in Burkina Faso have been primary have been a primary target for their attacks since April of 2019 when Islamists attacked five churches and killed about 70 Christians. Uh, since then, more than 200 churches have reportedly closed the northern, closed in northern and eastern Burkina Faso because of security issues and the threat of further attacks. And as many as 10,000 Christians have fled their homes, while just over half of Burkina Faso's population is Muslim, the militants seek uh, to force everyone to convert to Islam. And those who refuse face brutal consequences. Elder Emmanuel's death. Uh, everywhere you could see blood, Miriam said, for, of the site where militants killed her husband in front of her in, on a February day in 2020. My oldest son kept wanting to come in to see his father, he said, um, to look at his face. Friends tried desperately to prevent him from entering the house, but he eventually forced his way inside. When the clothing covering Emmanuel's head was removed, Miriam's son saw that his father's skull had been split open. Oh my god. That's terrible for a son to see. I mean, I don't know how old he was. He, in this picture, he kind of looks like he's maybe 18 or 20. I'm not sure when, like, he, how old he was when this happened, but... Mm -mm. In addition to killing Emmanuel, the, the militants stole everything of value, including the family's car. Miriam told her children, um, I'm sorry, Miriam and her children were left with nothing. Deep grief 
and trauma. Alright. I have photos of the crime, Miriam's son said, but they are so horrible I can't show the other children. Let's see. While Miriam's home was under attack, another group of uh, Islamists attacked her pastor's home not far away. Pastor Armel had celebrated his 20th anniversary as a leader of a local church just a day earlier. According to the pastor's son, Saidu Sadao? We're going to say Sadao. Um, forgive me if I mispronounced your name. But Pastor Armel had told his congregation... Uh, during the anniversary celebration that he wanted them to fight the good fight of faith um, as he had been trying to do for um, two decades. He also acknowledged the growing pressure that he had or that he and all Christians faced um, from Islamic militants in the area. I don't know if you will find me standing here next Sunday, he told them. During the visit with his friends on Monday, um, his day off, someone asked the pastor if he was well. For the time being, I am, he said. His uncertain reply startled one of his daughters who asked, Why are you responding this way? In life, everything can change in a minute, Pastor Armel said. And minutes later, it did. Oh, wow. So he must have, like, known in his spirit that something was about to happen. A gang of Islamic militants suddenly entered Pastor Armel's home, threatening and robbing everyone present before forcing them out of the house. Then, the Islamists who had just killed Elder Emmanuel drove up in his vehicle at gunpoint. As Islamists abducted Pastor Armel, Several of his daughters, his brother, and some other Christians loading them in vehicles and driving them into the bush. Wow. For three days, the militants tried to persuade the Christians to convert to Islam. At first, they provided food for the Christians and treated them with relative kindness, urging the young men to take up arms and join their Islamist insurgency. Uh, and... They promised Pastor Armel that if he converted to Islam, they would um, reward him with a trip to Mali where he could receive training and become one of their leaders. The Christian. You did that on purpose. I told you to be quiet. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. The Christians were forced to recite verses from the Quran, but they refused to give their captors demands uh, to convert. No one, or yeah, no one of us is going to become a Muslim, they said. Uh, they. Or though they remained firm in their faith, the Christians at times feared for their lives in those moments. Pastor Armel um, reminded them of Psalm 23, saying, Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear nothing. Um, 
Eventually, the militants released the girls and some younger boys after driving them a sort of distance away not and not look back. Um, as the group walked away, they heard six gunshots equaling the number of remaining captives, including Pastor Arnold. News of the murders devastated their Christian community in, of Seba. Uh, one of Pastor Armel's sisters collapsed after learning that her brother had been killed and she has struggled with grief ever since. At the urging of friends, Elder Emmanuel's widow, Miriam, decided to leave Seba with her nine children after hearing that the terrorists were planning to return. Um, they said they were coming back, she recalled, that they weren't finished yet. Miriam's friends comforted her with the reminder that when Jesus was a baby, he also had to flee because of the, because the ruler of the land wanted to kill him. Uh, when frontline workers learned of Miriam's situation, um, they provided her and her children with basic necessities and housing in a, in a safer location, Miriam and her family expressed gratitude uh, for the help they received and the global body of Christ. And she said they are attending church every Sunday as they move forward with their lives. Because our blessing to all that contributed uh, to support us. Okay. Miriam said, okay, I lost my place. We didn't know that there were persons very far, far, far from us uh, who were praying for us. So when we knew this, this encouraged us. The rein this reinforces our faith in God and we will keep moving ahead even though Emmanuel is no longer with us. It is time to take a break, people. Listen to my commercial, will ya? Dylan Kim has many fond memories of his father's ministry work in North Korean um, defectors. As far back as 2006, he remembers his father, Kim Jong-wook. Um, dividing his time between South Korea and China as he served and proclaimed the gospel to North Koreans. In 2008, when Dylan was a teenager, his family moved from South Korea to Dandong, China, um, a large part um, sorry, a large port city across the Yalu River from North Korea. There, Dylan served alongside his father. We worshiped together in North Korean with North nah, with North Korean defectors in some um, apartments in different areas. Dylan said, "We gave them a place to stay, food to eat, and did discipleship training with them." Dylan also watched his father uh, train each believer in evangelism in case they ever returned to North Korea. Um. In early 2012, Dylan, then 17, returned to South Korea uh, for college, and 
uh, in September of the following year, his father came to South Korea to visit Dylan and, and his older brother. He told us that uh, he was planning to go into North Korea, and Dylan said recalling his final memory of his father. He also told us that he was only going to go in for a short time, and he would come out. Kim Jong-wook was arrested a month after entering North Korea. Dylan and the rest of his family weren't surprised by his father's arrest, which um, they learned about through a press conference that included his father. Kim Jong-wook had previously been detained briefly in other countries such as Laos for illegally helping North Korean defectors at the time. China was uh, pressuring Laos and other nearby countries to reparate both North Koreans uh, to North Korea by returning them to China. Dylan said he doesn't think his father was surprised by his arrest in North Korea either. My father explained to us about uh, calling for North Korean missions, or his calling for North Korean missions, that uh, he was putting his life on the line. Dylan recalled uh, of their last visit. Uh, He had faith enough to die if he was meant to die. Some think North Korean informants infiltrated Kim Jong-wook's inner circle and persuaded him to enter North Korea so they could capture him. Uh, He is one of four South Korean missionaries um, currently in prison in North Korea and one of about 30,000 Christians um, suffering in prisons and labor camps. Following his arrest, Kim Jong-wook was convicted of spying and starting underground churches. North Korean authorities sentenced him to life in a labor camp where prisoners were often treated like animals, forced to work long hours of slave labor, and beaten until they bleed. Malnourishment is common, uh, driving some prisoners to eat rats for survival. Oh my god. Yeah. I shouldn't be surprised. There's a lot of evil things going on in North Korea right now. When Dylan heard the news of uh, his father's arrest, he immediately turned to God in prayer. I did not ask questions or blame God. He said, I prayed for God to give him back to us. I also figured that my dad would be tortured, so I prayed that he would not lose his faith. Uh, These things together as a family sometimes... Uh, and I also prayed alone. Let's see. As Dylan continued to pray for his father, he also focused on his own calling. He began attending seminary abroad in 2018, uh, sleeping little and losing weight during his first semester. When he returned to South Korea at the end of the semester, his aunt, um, scheduled a doctor's appointment out of concern uh, for his health. Dylan then learned that he had contracted tuberculosis, causing him to remain in South Korea for treatment and um, six months of recovery. Wow. While recovering from his illness, Dylan worked part-time with VOM, Voice of the Martyrs, in South Korea, handling maintenance 
and administrative tasks. Um, after several months, he was hired full-time to visit and help disciple North Korean defectors in Seoul and Daejeon um, while continuing to perform administrative tasks and work in facilities uh, maintenance. He especially enjoys teaching the North Korean defectors. Uh, when I teach the Word of God to the students, I see them understand. Um, it makes me happy, he said. Dylan said the personal connections he makes with North Koreans bring to mind ministry uh, work with his father. With my own eyes, Dylan said, I saw North Korean defectors going through extremely difficult situations when I was in China. So when I hear the stories from their students of the difficulties that they are going through, it is not something new to me. It is very familiar. Through his work with Voice of the Martyrs in uh, South Korea, Dylan said God has given him multiple opportunities to grow in faith um, in each of the experience I, experiences I have had a resistance to taking the next step, he recalled, but because it was God that gave, because it is what God gave me to do, I stepped forward. Through the processes, I realized that I am not doing this by my own strength, but by the power of God. In addition to his daily growth experiences, Dylan also uh, is participating in mission trips while uh, doing these mission trips, I know, or I saw South Korean defectors preaching the gospel to other North Korean defectors for the first time. For example, one person is very shy, but I saw them being outgoing and sharing the gospel, so I saw the change in them and the power of the gospel. And as he had many opportunities to share his own testimony with students, creating empathy and fellowship uh, between them through the discovery of similar sorrows and experiences. Many of them are touched to cry and pray for my father, he said. Most of them have uh, family members in North Korea. Uh, a frontline worker who, was who has observed Dylan's work said his relationship with North Korean students have greatly benefited Dylan through personal growth and healing. Uh, they pray for him and his dad and his family, the frontline worker said, and together they share the pain being apart from their loved ones and who are inside North Korea. Dylan has heard no news about his father since the initial press conference, but he continues to pray for a direction about his future, um, confident that the best way to follow in his father's footsteps is to heed his own calling from God. I want to do work that gives glory to God, he said. I think that the work of saving souls is the work that makes Father God most happy and gives him the most glory. In Cuba, authorities often arrive without warning. On March 10 of 2020, a group of men with sledgehammers appeared at Pastor David's church at uh, 9 a.m. 
They wanted to demolish the church and everything inside, he said, and they started smashing it with their 25-pound sledgehammers. They came at that hour when the church was closed, hoping that no one would try and stop them from destroying everything. When the pastor and the other church leaders uh, learned that, uh, at sorry, learned what was happening, they rushed to the site and managed to stop the wrecking crew before the roof could collapse. David was filled with emotion as he gazed in disbelief at the destroyed church building. You can imagine the sadness we all had, he explained, after many years of sacrifice to be able to build a humble church, and how they had unfairly demolished it. Decades ago, Cuba's revolutionary leader Fidel Castro uh, established an atheistic communist government and vowed to drive religion from the island. Um, But Cuban church leaders say the opposite has happened. It has been more than 60 years since Fidel Castro said that, a church leader said. But Christians are in Cuba in many schools and secret prison circles and in every municipality in Cuba from east to west, north to south. Cuba is filled with the gospel. Um, As knowledge of the gospel increases in Cuba, however, uh, so does government scrutiny. After 17 years of worshiping together, uh, Pastor Faustino's church of 100 members faced the same opposition in 2021 uh, that David's church had uh, experienced the previous year. (sighs) Um, The government sent a bulldozer to completely level the church building. Though the building was destroyed, church members continued to meet every day under the temporary roof uh, at the church site, uh, hoping to persuade the government to change its decision. Security officers confronted the Christians daily, pressuring them to leave, but the church members remained faithful despite um, running low on food and subsisting mainly on rice and husks. Other Cuban pastors have faced uh, even greater pressures to have been in prison for more than a year, and one has reportedly been tortured and treated like a counter-revolutionary criminal. Still, the Communist Party's efforts to crush churches in Cuba with sledgehammers, bulldozers, and imprisonments continue to fail. All that remains of Pastor David's uh, church building is the roof, yet his congregation continues to gather for worship and fellowship. They meet on porches and kitchens, um, in fields and under trees, and they baptize new believers in cleared-out pigsties. Oh, wow. Despite everything David said, the congregation continues to grow more and more. Another pastor, a widow who struggles to provide for her um, new teenage children, boldly defies authorities who regularly pressure her to stop her church activities. I demand they show what law I have broken, she said, since the authorities have never cited a specific law. She continued uh, her ministry work.
Cuban Christians, uh, like this faithful pastor, ask for prayer, and they will continue to stand firm in their faith. Uh, one Cuban pastor was told by a senior UN official that he could speak to the Pope, the President of the United States, and Cuba's leader on behalf of Cuban Christians. Uh, what would you like me to tell them to do for the Church of Cuba, the UN official asked. Uh, the pastor replied that they do not want anything from the Pope, the President, or the Cuba's leader. They were not asking for per persecution to be removed. We just want people to pray and remain faithful. As a teenager living in Nepal in the 1970s, Shankar was committed to pursuing a life of meaning. Uh, he studied Sanskrit, which is considered to be sacred language of Hinduism and meditated on Hindu texts day and night. But over time, he found it all meaningless and was inspired by some communist friends to become an atheist. San Shankar um, then began training in the martial arts and he failed to achieve his double black belt. However, he decided to look elsewhere for significance. Then one day, a man came to his door and invited Shankar, who was 18 at the time, to join um, a growing radical communist movement. When he agreed, the man handed him a form to complete. I filled out the form and was taken to China for underground training, Shankar said. To avoid being tracked, Shankar was escorted across the border to China on foot. Um, instead of by airplane or bus. The multi-day trek ended, um, ended deep inside China, where Shankar learned that he had been recruited because of his training in martial arts and his father's role as an armorer in uh, Nepal's military. Oh, wow. I know how to make weapons, so I was one of those teachers for them, Shankar said. After three years, I was made captain of that group. Shankar trained communist recruits for nearly seven years before returning home to care for his aging parents. Back in Nepal, he served as a lead underground trainer for the communists in Kathmandu. Yes? Okay. Every night from midnight to 3 a.m., he... Uh, taught skills such as how to evade arrest and steal motorcycles. Wow. Um, he even trained students to shoot and kill fellow communists who had been arrested, so they could not be detained and interrogated. Uh, this was the beginning of the underground communist movement of Nepal, he said. I was training them to be guerrillas. One, of the, one morning after an all-night training session, Shankar uh, sat down with some friends at a public park as they talked. Three men approached and sat down near them. One of the men had a guitar and the other a bag full of printed leaflets. 
As the man with the guitar began playing and singing a Christian hymn, the other man walked up to Shankar and handed him a gospel tract. Here, you should read this, he told Shankar. God loves you. Shankar grabbed the tract, tore it up, and threw it in the air. He considered Christianity be, to be a poison in Nepal. Um, the man gave Shankar another tract, but he tore that one up too. To Shankar's disbelief, the man tried to hand him another tract. Wow. Uh, then I thought, this guy is really mocking me, Shankar said. So I slapped him three or four times on his cheek. The evangelist immediately gathered with his friends and prayed. Then he uh, returned with a fistful of tracks, stuffed them in Shankar's pocket, and ran away. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, the, the boldness that guy had to have in order to do that. It's kind of... I know it's like a life or death situation because that that man could have been killed, but I kind of see it in a, in a like a, almost like a comedic way. But I know that's not how it was. But it kind of makes me laugh, like the persistence of missionaries now, like in foreign countries. You don't see that here in America, like. You don't see anybody being that bold and like sticking like a bunch of Bible tracks in, in somebody's shirt. Um, and then running away like that. I, I just kind of thought that that was kind of cool. But uh. Shankar took off after him. Uh, I was so angry at him, he said. I thought, if I ever catch him, I will beat him badly. Shankar lost track of the man when. He crossed a busy highway, and when Shankar returned to his friends, one of them joked that he should check his pockets to see if the man planted a bomb in his shirt. Shankar pulled out the wad of tracks from his pocket and threw them to the ground when he returned home. Um, that evening, he noticed something uh, in one of his pockets. I thought my pocket was empty, he said. But when I put my hand inside, there was still one gospel tract in there. Ah! <laughs> I wondered if it was a bomb, and it was a spiritual bomb that changed my life. Aww. Um, let's see. Shankar finally decided to read the tract. After reading only a part of it, he began to feel convicted of the sin in his life. I had caught so many people and killed so many people, he said. I know that I was the worst sinner in the world. I wanted to find a way to get out of this sin. You know, it's interesting because there are so many people who haven't done that, haven't done what Shankar has done, and are still like in their faith and they still believe that they're the worst Christian around. It kind of goes to show that, you know, no matter what you think of yourself in your faith, God still can make you whole. Like, that's nuts. At the same time, Shankar's mother, who struggled with mental health problems, attempted to take her own life. Aww. Desperate to help her, Shankar read 
Uh, through the tract again, this time he noticed a reference to Mark 16, 16 through 18, which addresses faith in Christ and healing. He decided to seek help from believers um, if he could if he could find any. Soon Shankar met with two Christians from the Netherlands on the street. Um, when he told them his story, he shared his concern for his mother's health. The men offered to visit his mother and pray for her, requesting only a place to sleep. After 20 days of prayer, Shankar's mom improved significantly. This is why I believe that mental illness isn't just mental, okay? It is also spiritual, okay? Maybe back in the day, you know, a long, long time ago, I may have thought there is a line between mental illness and spiritual warfare. No, there ain't. No, there ain't. Nope. No way. Uh, nope. The only reason why I believe that is because of the, the things that I went through mentally, and I'm not going to get into that because I think I've definitely talked about that before in my testimony, but um, I believe that there is a spirit tied to every single mental illness, anxiety, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, all of that. And people don't understand that even though um, sometimes mental illnesses are genetic and they get passed down, so do spirits. It's a, it's a generational curse. That's what it is. But Let's see, when I saw my mom was healed, I was very happy, he said. Even though I was an atheist, I decided to read that gospel tract again. At the back of the gospel tract, there was an address. I wrote the office and continued some more gospel tracts. Though he hadn't placed his faith in Christ yet, Shankar couldn't keep the good news that he had read about and experienced to himself. He took all the tracts he had, received, and distributed them to other villagers. If you are sick, read this and you will be healed. My mom was a living testimony. She was sick and now she is healed. Don't throw this gospel away. After Shankar distributed the tracts, uh, some villagers began gathering for prayer. One day, the Dutch missionaries met with them and helped lead eight people to Christ. That day in 1986, uh, he also placed his faith in Christ and he and the other Christians soon formed a church. Some of Shankar's uh, communist friends tried to persuade him to return to the group, but refused. No, I will never, he told them. There is no chance. I will rejoin the party um, that you but you can come to my church. If uh, I join the party, I will get death. But if you come to my church, you will get life. Shankar eventually became pastor of the church and uh, he had helped start. Okay, that he had helped start. Okay, I read that wrong. And he has since planted 28 more churches ranging in the size from about 30 to 130 uh, worshippers. Uh, his passion for sharing the gospel has, at times, angered others, while 
Um, many villagers listened to the preaching, to his preaching, as an open heart, or with an open heart. Shankar and his members of the team have been beaten multiple times, and more recently, Shankar and other pastors have been restricted in their work by new government guidelines. In 2017, Nepal's parliament passed an amendment criminalizing um, con conversion to Christianity. So now they have anti-conversion laws in Nepal, too. That's crazy. Um, let's see. In... It is clearly mentioned in the law that if one person converts to another person uh, to his religion, he will be fined five or fifty thousand rupees, which is about four hundred dollars or two months' income, um, and spend five years in prison. Wow, this persecution is causing us some problems in sharing the gospel. In 2018, the prime minister. Um, and other government officials further tightened the restriction by uh, publicly declaring that anyone who changes or or changes his or her religion will be expelled from the country. So wow. Okay. Uh, since the con constitutional uh, amendment was adopted, Jankar has seen at least one pastor detained because of his ministry work. The pastor who is now out of jail has paid the equivalent of $5,000 in fines and legal fees. I encourage my uh, church members um, that it doesn't matter what the Constitution stands for. Sometimes the Constitution goes against us because we are not working for this world. We are working for heaven. So, don't be scared off. If God wants us to be in prison for sharing the gospel, let it be. Um, but do not be scared of persecution. We have to do what we are called to do. Shankar asks people to pray that God will provide uh, for his church needs, unite and the congregation, and, and continue to draw more Nepalese to faith in Christ. I have given my life for God's ministry until I die. I cannot imagine being apart from the ministry. May God help me continue when new soul. Ida Skripnikova uh, was imprisoned for a total of four years in the Soviet Union when she was in her 20s. Her crimes were both receiving Bibles that were smuggled into the country and distributing information about Christians um, imprisoned for their faith by communist authorities. Earlier this year, Ida, now 82 and living in St. Petersburg, Russia, was, visited, was visiting uh, relatives in Ukraine when the war broke out. The city where she was staying was bombed and uh, shelled for several consecutive days causing the deaths of 54 people when a residential building was hit. In addition, uh, the school in their relative's neighborhood and the largest supermarket in the city were destroyed. Um, in, on one night of Ida's visit, air raid sirens sounded five times, forcing her and her relatives to take shelter in the apartment building basement. Uh, the only safe place to hide from Russian bombs um, and artillery shells 
for three weeks utilities with such as electricity gas and water were disrupted ida said that throughout her stay psalm 91 specifically verse 1 which says he who dwells in the shelter of the most high shall abide in the shadow of the almighty voice voice of the martyrs um and other members of the body of christ assured or secured ida's safe return uh to her home in saint petersburg continue to pray for her as she serves as a faithful witness to christ in russia About eight years ago, Islamic insurgents attacked Danjuma's village, burning homes and killing Christians. When they saw Danjuma, who was about 13 at the time, some of the attackers slashed his head with a machete, carved out his eye, and hacked at his left arm and left him for dead. That is awful. Later, as survivors dug graves for those who had been killed, they heard Danjuma's crying and shouting. Upon seeing his horrible condition, they took him to the nearest hospital where he was stabilized and treated. Months after the attack, Danjuma uh, told a frontline worker uh, that he had forgiven those who had mutilated him and left him for dead. Listen, man has more grace than I have. I cannot imagine being, I can't imagine being in his position and still having love for somebody who had attacked me. Like, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm going out for blood. Like, blood for blood. And that's, that's a problem that I have to learn to, to, you know, get over. Like, I have to learn how to forgive people. But this man immediately forgave him forgave them people that that hurt him i ooh see i'm angry for him now like mm-mm. but uh i forgive them because they don't know what they are doing uh he said echoing the words of christ on the cross if they had love they wouldn't behave that way danjuma Uh, has come a long way since the attack after undergoing multiple surgeries and extensive rehabilitation. He enrolled in a school for the blind, and in 2020, um, his older brother John began caring for him. Aww. John continues to provide for Dan Juma's needs and study the Bible with him. He also helps his younger brother with schoolwork. Um, Because Dan Juma had to learn how to read braille. He essentially um, restarted his education. Yeah, that had to be pretty hard. Um, through diligent work, Danjuma has now progressed in high school, or to high school. In July 2022, he attended his first Christian camp centered around the theme Sanctified. The VOM uh, sponsored retreat helps young adults from um, persecuted families understand the importance of living pure, wholesome lives. While at the camp, Dan Juma uh, rededicated his life to Christ and made many new friends.
Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you all, and I will see you in the trenches next time. See ya.